Well, hey, welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are joining us. And we have a ton of people right now joining us online. So if you are here in person, would you put your hands together? Welcome in our online family. It's awesome to have you guys with us today. And we're in week three of our series, Relationship Goals. And so far in this series, we've talked about what God wants when it comes to parenting and marriage. And today we're going to talk about a subject that I think we can all identify with. And that's what it looks like to have the type of friendships that God wants us to have. Because you may not realize this, but God doesn't want us to do life alone. In fact, at the beginning of creation, when God made everything, the first thing that God ever said wasn't good is this. If you look in the book of Genesis, we see that it says it is not good for man to be alone. God knows that when we are alone, when we live isolated, we are not at our best. God wove within the fabric of our DNA the need for relationships, the need for human connection, the need for one another. And every time I think about that truth, that biblical truth, I think about some videos that I've seen online before of little kids who mistake mannequins and clothing stores for real people. And I love these clips. Take a look at a few of them. I love that. I think it's my kids have done the same stuff. They really have. But you know, every time I see those clips, it just reminds me there's something within us that tells us we need others. God wove within the fabric of our DNA the need for human connection. And the Bible talks about this over and over again. As you read through Scripture, you will see this theme. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says this, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. The Bible says two are better than one. In other words, we're better when we do life together. It's not that we can't survive without others, but if we really want to thrive, we need one another. Look at what the Bible goes on to say in the book of Ecclesiastes. It says, by yourself, you're unprotected with a friend you can face the worst. If we truly want to live out our God-given potential in life, we need to do it in community with others who are focused on God and can help us become the people that God intended us to be. And that's different from what our culture says because our culture says it's better to be able to do life on your own. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we may not need healthy relationships to survive. I mean, we can live, I guess, in isolation without people if we want to, but we need them to thrive. You can choose to do life on your own if you want to, but you're never going to live as fulfilled as if you do it with other people. We need healthy, godly relationships in order to thrive in life, to fully live out God's plans for us. And in fact, the Bible even says that it's dangerous if we try to do life alone, if that's our goal. I mean, do you remember what Ecclesiastes says? Someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I want you to think about this in the terms of nature. Think about in nature when it comes to animals. You know, there are predators that will prey on animals. And what do predators try to do? They try to isolate their prey from the rest of the herd because they know that it's easier to get 
an animal, either to get their food, they can isolate their prey from the rest of the herd. And what we need to keep in mind is that the Bible says we have a very real enemy that is preying on us, that's after us. Look at what Peter says in the New Testament. Peter writes, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And here's the thing, when we choose to live in isolation, when we try to do life on our own, alone, we've already done half the work of our enemy for him. It's easier for him to get to us. It's easier for him to attack us. We are a people who are called by God to go against the grain, to do the opposite of what culture says and live in community, to do life with others so that we can be the best version of ourselves. And that's why Proverbs says this, without guidance, people fall. But in many advisors, there is safety. And isn't that what we all want? Safety and security as much as we can get in this life. If you want it, it comes with having people around you. And there was a guy in the Old Testament who had to learn that truth the hard way. We talked about him last week, and we're going to mention him again today. In fact, the story in Scripture we're going to look at is all about him. His name is David. And we talked about David last week because he was a guy who struggled sometimes when it comes to relationships. Last week we saw how he struggled in his first marriage and how he and his young wife allowed for Satan to hijack their marriage. But today we're going to look at a different scene. If you guys will remember, David, he was the best king that Israel probably ever had. He was known for being a man after God's own heart. He was a godly, spiritual man. This is the same David who, you know, defeated Goliath. But as he becomes king, well, he got a little comfortable. And he started to take his eyes off God. Now, at this point in history, we're going to fast forward from last week, about 20 years. David's been reigning now for over 20 years as king over Israel. And as he's reigning, Israel has become very, very prosperous David's in his late 40s, and he is seeing the nation grow and be very vibrant, and they're having military victory after military victory, and the reason why they're having all this success is because God is with them. David has pointed the people back in the direction of God, and so God is blessing the nation of Israel, and they're having all this success. But like I said, sometimes when you experience success, you start to get a little comfortable, and I'm afraid that's what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 11 to David, if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be camped out in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to start at verse 1. And what we find out is that David sends his military, his army, off to war. All of his military commanders, generals, they go off to war with all the soldiers. And they're fighting the Ammonites in a distant country, but David, in a very uncharacteristic move, decides to stay home in Jerusalem in his palace. The Bible just puts it like this, but David remained in Jerusalem. All of his fighting men are off in a foreign land, but David remained in Jerusalem. Now, we're not told why David remained in Jerusalem. We don't know if he was just tired or exhausted and needed a break. We don't know if maybe there was some other reason why he thought he needed to be in Jerusalem at that time. Or maybe just maybe, like I said, He's just become a little lax. He's a little bit too comfortable because, hey, God's been giving the nation all this success. Maybe his leadership really isn't needed. He can just stay home. And God's going to give him success anyway because they're his people. We're not told why David stayed home. But we do know one thing. We know he's all alone. 
And I don't know about you, but I've learned in life that when I'm alone, when I'm not around healthy spiritual influences, I have a tendency to do things I wouldn't do if I wasn't alone. When we're alone, we'll do things we wouldn't normally do if we were surrounded by the right influences. When I say alone, I'm talking about being spiritually alone. When we don't have the spiritual influences that we need. And let me ask you, have you ever been alone and you got on your phone or your computer and you've looked up stuff you shouldn't and that you probably would not have looked up if you had had the right spiritual influences beside you? You ever gone on a business trip, been away from your family and done things and said things you would not have done if your family had been around? Spouses? Do you say and do things away from your husband or wife that you wouldn't do if they were around? Students? Do you say and do things that you wouldn't do if your parents were around or maybe if your other friends here at church were around, you wouldn't do those things, but you're all alone when it comes to spiritual influences? Let me ask you the question, who are you when no one's watching? Because that's the question that David is going to have to answer. And we're going to find out he doesn't answer it well. He's all alone in Jerusalem and one night he decides to go to bed. He goes to bed a little bit early and because he goes to bed early, he wakes up after a couple hours. You ever done that? Gone to bed too early and then all of a sudden you wake up and you're wired. You know, you can't go back to sleep because you went to bed too soon. Well, I think that's David in this situation. I don't know if it's early afternoon or maybe or late afternoon or early evening, but David goes to bed early, he wakes up, and he can't go back to sleep. So he decides to take a walk, but he doesn't walk the streets of Jerusalem. He decides to go to the roof of his palace, and there on the roof of his palace, he looks out over his kingdom, everything that he reigns over. And this is what happens, follow along with me. David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. So David's looking out over his kingdom, and as he does, he notices that there is a woman bathing on her rooftop. And that was a typical custom in this day and age. David may have even known that he might see something like that. And David in this moment, well, he has a decision to make. Does he look away or does he keep staring? Now, this woman that that he sees, we're not told a whole lot about her, but we know her name. Her name is Bathsheba. We find that out. We also later find out that Well, she's very, very beautiful. We also find out she's married. And she's married to Uriah, who's one of David's most faithful servants, who's a great man, by the way, a great guy. And when David found out this information, he should have left it alone. He should have looked away to begin with, but he didn't. He should not have asked about who this woman was, but he did. He should not have sent a servant to go and send for her, but he did. 
He should have listened to that one servant who told him, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Do you get what this guy's hinting at? He's saying, dude, she's married. He brings up her husband. She's supposed to be off limits. David doesn't take the hint or maybe just doesn't care. And this servant, well, he doesn't make a stand or anything. I mean, who's going to argue with the king? David should have taken the hint, but he didn't. He should not have had Bathsheba brought to him, but he did. He should not have been alone with her in the palace, but he was. He should not have invited her into his bedroom, but he did. He should not have slept with her, but he did. He knew better, but he did what he did. And I don't know if David felt remorse or guilt after he was finished, but he sent her home. And I'm sure David probably thought that this was like a, a one-time thing. He just hooked up with somebody and that was it. He could just move on. But the Bible gives us this warning. Your sin will track you down. There's not a sin out there that doesn't have consequences that come along with it. All sin has consequences, and David soon finds out the consequences of his mistake. Verse 5 tells us in our passage, the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. Now, it's interesting to me that here she's called the woman because before we're given her name, and you know, her name's Bathsheba, and she's the daughter of Eliam, and she's the wife of Uriah. We find out this information about her identity, but here she's just called the woman, I wonder if that's because that's how David saw her. She was just an object to him. She was just something to fulfill his fantasies. And so once he was done with her, he was done. But David now has a decision to make. He sees the consequences of his sin. And does he own that? Does he admit that he's done wrong? Does he confess his sin to his godly friends and to God himself? Does he admit his sin to the nation? Does he try to reconcile between Uriah, this faithful servant of his, and also Bathsheba? He could have done all those things, and that's what he should have done. But he didn't. Instead, he tries to take matters into his own hands. He tries to cover up his sin. And I don't know about you, but anytime I try to cover up sin in my life, it just makes matters worse. It just makes the situation worse. And that's exactly what happened for David. See, David calls for Uriah. Uriah is Bathsheba's husband. And Uriah wasn't at home that night because he was off fighting in war. So he calls for Uriah to come to the palace. He says, Uriah, give me an update on, on the war. Uriah tells him about what's going on in battle. And David said, that's great, that's wonderful, I'm glad we're having such success, and you're such a faithful servant of mine, you deserve to be rewarded. Why don't you go home tonight and rest and eat some good food and spend some time with your wife? See, what does David want? Uriah's been off to war for a while. He wants Uriah to go home and sleep with Bathsheba so that Bathsheba can then claim the baby belongs to her husband and not to David. But see, Uriah, he's a man of integrity. He's a man of character. And this is what he says to David. 
The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. And my master Joab, that's the general, and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. In other words, Uriah says, my brothers who are out fighting, they don't get to rest. They don't get a night at home. They don't get to enjoy good food and drink. They don't get to be with their wives. How could I do that? That's not fair. That's not right. There's no way I could go and do that with them out there fighting and living in tents. See, Uriah has more character in this moment than David has, who's a man after God's own heart. That's what he's known for. So David gets frustrated. You know what David does? He gets Uriah drunk. He thinks if I get him drunk, then maybe he'll go home and be with his wife. So he gets Uriah drunk. He says, okay, you go home and spend some time at home. Uriah leaves the palace, but he doesn't go home. He sleeps outside that night because he still refuses to do what David wants him to do because he doesn't think it's fair to his brothers who are still at war. I want you to process this. Uriah, when he's drunk, has more character than David had when he was sober. So David... He takes his scheme to a whole new evil level. He sends Uriah back to fight. And he orders for Uriah to be put on the front lines of battle where David is sure Uriah will be killed. And that's exactly what happens. Uriah is killed in battle. And then David turns around and marries Bathsheba and claims the child as his own. This man after God's own heart committed murder in order to cover up his sin. And as I read through these chain of events in Scripture and I see David's life spiraling out of control, what hits me is that there was no one around telling David no. There was no one around saying, David, this isn't a good idea. David, you shouldn't do this. He didn't have a trusted friend who was saying, you don't want to go down that road, king, because you're going to end up somewhere where you don't want to be. There was no one around him who was holding him accountable, who was challenging him, who was saying to him, this isn't what God wants for your life. See, David was all alone in the sense he didn't have the spiritual influences he needed, but he wasn't completely alone. He was surrounded by servants and aides and messengers and advisors and none of them told him no. I mean, there was that one guy that we looked at his statement earlier, that one servant who said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Remember, this guy's basically saying, hey, dude, she's married, stay away from her. But David didn't listen and again, this guy didn't put up a fight or anything. It's interesting, David sends messengers to go and retrieve Bathsheba and bring her to him. And that word messenger in the Hebrew literally means a representative or an ambassador. These were the men that David would send out to read his decrees to the nation or to go out and send messengers to foreign kings. These men made up his communications team, basically. 
These were the guys who spent time with David. They knew him well. They knew his character. They knew what he believed in. They followed his same God. And you would think these guys, his communications team, would have looked at him and said, this is a bad idea. Nothing good can come from this. But apparently they didn't. You see, no one, no one in David's relational world had the courage to tell him what he wanted to hear. I'm not sure if you've heard of Ronda Rousey. She's a UFC fighter. And at one time she was considered the best in the world. People wondered if she could ever be beat. She had never lost a round, let alone a fight. That is until she faced off against Holly Holm. And when she faced off against Holly, she came back after the first round to her corner. And her corner man was there who was supposed to coach her and give her advice and tell her what she needed to do better. And she came back all beat up and bloodied and bruised. And she really hadn't been in that bad of a situation before. So she turned to her corner man for some coaching. And he was afraid that if he told her what she was doing wrong, that she might get discouraged or might get offended or might get mad. So instead of telling her what she needed to do better, he just said, keep doing what you're doing. Rhonda went back out and she ended up getting knocked out. All because she received the wrong advice. And some of you right now, you keep getting knocked out in life and you're wondering why. And I think maybe it could be because you don't have the right people in your corner. You have the wrong people in your corner or maybe no one in your corner who's telling you what you need to hear. See, God designed relationships for our good, but what we need to keep in mind is not all relationships are good for us. David, he was just surrounded by yes men and yes women who just kind of let him do whatever he wanted to do. No one was there to hold him accountable. And if the only relationships you have in life are people who don't care about the mistakes you make, people just let you do whatever you want to do, you need some healthier relationships. If you're just surrounded by yes men and women, that's not healthy. That's not what you need. You need people who will lovingly speak truth to you when you need to hear it. But you know, when I say that not all relationships are good for us, I'm also saying some relationships might be toxic for you. You might have people in your life right now that you're close to or that you spend some time with that are toxic, that are bringing you down and holding you back and discouraging you and actually pushing you further and further away from God. And the Bible gives us this warning. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand this. The Bible does tell us we are to love everybody and we are to reach out to everybody and tell them about Jesus. But what this verse is letting us know is those people in your life who primarily have influence over you need to be those who have the same values you have. Need to be those who are following Jesus. Need to be those who are going to hold you accountable when you need to be held accountable. Because here's the thing. David thought that because he was king, he was above accountability, but he wasn't. And neither are you, and neither am I. None of us are above accountability. So what does God do? 
God sees David in his mess. And our loving God gives David exactly what he needs. Verse 1 in chapter 12 says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. So who's Nathan? Nathan's a man of God. Nathan's a prophet of God. Nathan was a guy that David knew very well. They were friends. They had talked on numerous different occasions. And God sent Nathan to David because he knew that what David needed more than anything else was some spiritual influence. He needed a voice that was going to speak truth to him, someone who was going to wake him up to the situation he was in, and somebody who was going to do it in a loving way so that possibly it could transform and change David. So that's exactly what happens. God sends Nathan to David to talk to him. And so Nathan knocks on David's front door and David lets him in. Again, he trusts him. He knows him. He lets Nathan in. And Nathan says, we need to talk. And Nathan tells David this story. He said, I heard about this guy who is extremely wealthy, who had a whole lot of money and was never in need whatsoever. He had a ton of livestock. And one day a guest came to visit him. And instead of killing one of his animals in order to feed his guest and throw a party for his guest, you know what this rich, wealthy dude did? He went and he took the only lamb that a poor family in his community had. He took that lamb from them, and they had nothing, and then he killed it, and he used it to feed his friend, his guest. And then Nathan turns to David, and he says, what should be done with this wealthy man who took that poor family's lamb. And David is furious. Listen to how he responds. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. You're that man. It's an interesting way to confront a friend, isn't it? Why didn't Nathan just come in and scold David or tell him what he did wrong? Because Nathan wants David to get it. He wants David to understand the why behind the what. He wants David to realize what he's done so that David will change. And after Nathan points out David's sin and told him what he needed to do, Listen to David's response. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David gets it. Finally, he owns his sin. Finally, he repents. Finally, he realizes he's blown it. And so David repents and he grieves and he owns his sin. And Nathan lets David know, God will forgive you, but there's still going to be consequences to your sin. That baby that's, That Bathsheba conceived, the baby's not going to make it, and that baby ended up dying, and you're going to grieve even more, and you're going to go through some dark nights, David. But you stick with God, you trust in him, and you continue to let him change you, he will restore your brokenness, he will restore your life. And that's what David does. He turns to God, he turns his entire situation, his entire life over to God, says, God, change me, mold me, make me into who you want me to be. And God ends up restoring his brokenness. See, he's still married to Bathsheba, 
Bathsheba and him get pregnant again with another child. And this child they named Solomon. You've probably heard of Solomon. Later became king over Israel after David. And listen to what the Bible says. Nathan, the prophet, gets to go and celebrate the birth of Solomon. It says Bathsheba gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan, the prophet, to name him Jedidiah. Now, I've got to let you guys know something. I have studied this text, this passage, numerous times in my life. And I didn't realize that this past week when I was looking at it again, that God gave Solomon another name, Jedidiah. Had no idea. Didn't know that. Maybe you guys did. Some of you guys are smarter than me. But I didn't realize that, that he had another name, a nickname or second name, Jedidiah. But I love this because that name, Jedidiah, means the one the Lord loves. See, what does Nathan get to do? Nathan gets to go to David and say, yeah, you really messed up. You blew it. You sinned against God. You hurt people. But God still loves you. God still has a plan for you. And because you've turned to him, he has now restored your life and he can do great things through you and your family. Nathan confronted David so that David could get to this point. And honestly, I believe we all need a friend like Nathan. We all need someone in our lives who will help us thrive and live the life that God knows we can live. And so let me ask you, do you have friends right now like Nathan who are helping you thrive and live the life that God has planned for you? Let me give you some goals to shoot for when it comes to friendship. Look for these type of friends and be this type of friend as well. And the first goal that I want to give you is this. Find friends who are close to Jesus. That should be first on your priority list when it comes to friendship. Because here's how relationships work. Stuff rubs off. People's character, their attributes, their attitudes, their goals, they rub off. And so if you surround yourself with godly people, their close proximity to God is going to rub off on you. But if you're only around people who are far from God, guess where you're going to be if you're hanging out with them? Far from God. That's why the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Your first goal should be find some friends, some close friends who believe living close to Jesus is important because they will help you live close to him. Second goal, find friends who sincerely love you. See, this is why I love Nathan here because Nathan doesn't come in and just say, hey, David, you're an idiot. I mean, David was an idiot and I've been an idiot too, you know, but he doesn't just come in and say, hey, you really messed up. This is what you did. You better change. He comes and he tells him a story. Because he cares about David. He wants David to get it. He wants David to understand. And we want friends who love us. We don't want to be surrounded by people who are just know-it-alls, who are always just pointing out what we do wrong to make themselves feel good about themselves. You know, we don't want people like that. We don't need a bunch of experts. What we all need are godly friends who love us who will speak the truth in love as the Bible commands us to do. It's not that they shy away from the truth, but they speak the truth in love. That's why I love Nathan's approach. 
Do you have friends who first of all love Jesus, but secondly, sincerely love you and want what's best for you? Third goal, find friends who, can, who you can commission to speak the truth. In other words, don't, you've had, don't just have close friends that you give permission to to speak the truth. Find friends who you can commission to speak the truth. In other words, you expect them to speak the truth to you. Because let's face it, we can all do dumb stuff. And we don't always realize it when we're doing it. And we need people who can point that out to us. Commission certain people in your life who you trust to tell you the truth when you need to hear it. Because like I said, none of us are above accountability. That's why the Bible gives us this truth. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. I had somebody tell me one time that they hated that verse because they said that doesn't make any sense because wounds still hurt. And yeah, I get that. Wounds do still hurt. But I'd rather have a friend in the immediate moment wound me, hurt my feelings a little bit if it means I'm gonna get back on the right path than have people who don't care me just continue to praise me with kisses <laughs> and nothing ever changes and I keep going down the road to destruction. It's about a year ago, I had lunch, Alice and I had, I'm sorry, dinner. We had dinner with a couple in our church. Met them at a restaurant. And we're having a good time. They're close friends of ours here at First Church. And at the end of the meal, at the end of the conversation, my buddy looked at me and he said, Chad, there's something I need to tell you. As a minister, I expect conversations like that. I was like, okay, what's going on? And he said, well, this is about you. And he said, I love you. And I know how easy it is for you to want to always say yes to people and please people. You really, you have trouble saying no sometimes because you care about people. And he said, that's not a bad thing. But he said, I feel like there may be some people in your life right now that are taking advantage of you that you're not seeing. And it's hurting your time you have with your family. He said, I don't tell you this to upset you. I just want you to be aware of it. And you know, in that moment, I was embarrassed. I didn't like that he was saying that. But he was 100% right, and I knew it deep down. And it led to some changes, some boundaries that I put up to help correct that situation. Wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. Because we all need people who will look at us and say, at times, you are the man when we need to hear it. And then one more goal, find friends who help you see and achieve God's dreams for your life. Find friends who know that when you're in the valley that that's not where you're supposed to stay. Find friends that know that when you're going through a dark time that there's light that God wants you to live in. Find friends who don't give up on you. Don't just have fair weather friends. Have people who help you see God's plan for your life, help you see God's dreams for your life, and then they stand beside you and help you achieve those dreams that God has for you. Find friends like that. And that's why I love Nathan. Because Nathan helped David get to the point where he could be reminded that he was loved by God and that God had a greater purpose for his life. 
And I have to wonder, how would David's story have been different if instead of calling for Bathsheba that night, he would have called for Nathan and said, Nathan, I need some help. I've got some friends that I would like to invite to come up on the stage. I'm gonna ask these guys to come up here to illustrate a point. Because if I were to look at you guys right now and say, try to knock me down, try to knock me over. Could any of you do it? Yeah, probably, probably a whole lot of you could knock me over. I'll admit that. But what about now? Yeah, that's probably best if you move, Tim. Yeah, I feel safer with Matt beside me. You're right. So. Good call, Tim. Good call. Okay. Do you think you can knock me over now? It'd be a lot more difficult. And if you did, these guys would come after you, okay? Because I know these guys love me and I love them. And they're there for me and I'm there for them. And I feel a whole lot stronger right now than when I stand by myself. But what about now? This is really awkward. (laughs) And a little strange. But it's safe. And I feel secure. Because these guys right now, they've got my back, they've got my front, they've got my sides. You try to come at me, you got to get through them first. Friendship sometimes is a little awkward and sometimes uncomfortable, especially when we're vulnerable with somebody. But this is what God intends us to have. And this is the type of friend that God expects you to be. Because without these men, what about now? I'm not so tough anymore. God intended for you to have godly friends who will have your back, who will be in your corner, who will support you. He never intended you to do life alone. See, our culture says that being able to do life alone is a sign of strength, but really it's just putting you in a position of weakness. You've heard the old saying, you can choose your friends but not your family. You can choose your friends. And today, are you finding, are you seeking friends that will help you be the man or the woman that God wants you to be. It's not always easy finding those friends. It may take some time, but that's why we're here as a church because we want to be a community that supports one another and is there for one another. So today, find friends who will help you become a better friend with Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for loving us even when we fail. And Father, I pray that we all have friends like Nathan who are there for us when we do fall, when we do fail, and can help us see you in the midst of those dark times so that we can live in your light again. I thank you for this church, for this community, and may we be there for one another. And Father, we know that if we want those types of friends, godly, healthy friends, 
that if we ask you for them and we look for them, you will place those people in our path. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.